Solomon says that wisdom continues to cry out to us our whole life through. As though wisdom were an actual person, Solomon quotes the words of wisdom. I called you so often, but you wouldn't come. I reached out to you, but you paid no attention. You ignored my advice and rejected the correction I offered, so I will laugh when you are in trouble. I will mock you when disaster overtakes you, when calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster engulfs you like a cyclone and anguish and distress overwhelm you. It sounds nasty, but let's face it, when we begin to reap the grim and rotten fruit of foolishness in our lives, it's as if wisdom is indeed mocking us. Sadly and foolishly, when things go badly for us, we want to blame God. But the Lord so often uses the consequences of our bad decisions to point us back to Him. Well, here we are, uh, past the halfway mark in the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, and we'll be looking at part of chapter 2. I want to begin this morning with something that might seem kind of odd to you, but uh, just hear me out and you'll see where I'm going with it in just a moment. In, uh, in 19, mid-September in 1930, Germany came close to electing the first Nazi party. And with 6.4 million Germans voting for the Nazis, it increased their number of seats from just 12 to 107. This is a 900% increase in their popularity and in their parliamentary power. And you can imagine what the headlines in the newspaper said, sweeping fascist success. Weeks later, a correspondent from the London Times interviewed Hitler, Adolf Hitler, and uh, in this interview, Hitler explained that the Nazi party was not out for a bloody revolution. That's what he said. Hitler assured the interviewer that we will conquer political power by strictly legal means. And then a few days later, with a gathering of 30,000 party members, he described the electoral process as the battle for a new German soul and national spirit. Well, nothing he said or did was legal or just because he was a liar extraordinaire. His agenda for his nation was written while he was in jail. Some of you may or may not know it, that he was put in jail for a, an attempted coup in 1925 in Munich. And of course, it failed and he was thrown into jail and he was supposed to face the death sentence. Now, if you read a little bit more about what actually happened, you see that there were sinister forces at work in the spiritual realm, because rather than facing a firing squad, Hitler was emboldened to write what we now know as Mein Kampf. This was his, his book called Mein Kampf, which means my struggle. In that book, he tells of his hatred of the Jews and of his, his desire for genocide. 
It includes in his book his ideas for a brand new world order. And of course, you know the you know what happened. He eventually was let out of prison and he did get close to majority. But even in that, he really stole his position as dictator of Germany. Now with Mein Kampf coming out with a very clear outline of his agenda, what he wanted to do, you would think that this would serve as a warning to all people, particularly to Christians, and even more particularly to those who were in the ministry. Now, there was somebody that saw what Hitler was doing and, and heard what he was writing about, and he began to sound the alarm. His name, as you probably know, is Winston Churchill. He warned his country throughout the 1930s of, of the Nazis and their agenda. But sadly, his warnings fell on deaf ears. They thought that Churchill was nothing more than a, a warmonger. He wanted to go into war because he had been the, the admiral of the fleet. He had been a, a man that actually seemed to revel in any kind of military endeavor. And so they weren't listening to him. But they started to listen to Hitler when Germany annexed the Rhineland, part of Czechoslovakia. It's a part of Czechoslovakia that Germany had lost during World War I. That was part of the Versailles Treaty. Germany was expected to, to do reparations to all the nations that had been hurt by World War I. Well, after the annexation of the Rhineland, you know what happened? The Prime Minister of Britain, his name is Neville Chamberlain, he actually flew to Munich to secure a guarantee from the Germans that this would be as far as they would go. We don't like it that you went to the Rhineland, this was too far, but if you'll assure us that you won't go any further, we'll call it a day, and it's what we now call a policy of appeasement. And you may remember some of the old footage where he gets, Neville Chamberlain gets off the airplane and waves the paper in the air that talks about this, this guarantee that Germany will go no further. Well, Germany laughed, and particular, particularly Hitler, laughed at the stupidity of the British politicians. Churchill was critical of this policy of appeasement, which made everybody mad at him. Meanwhile, he understood what was coming. And so after the invasion of Poland in 1939, that invasion, by the way, is what sparked World War II, it wasn't long before Churchill was called upon to be the leader, the prime minister of Britain. Churchill would go on later to call World War II the unnecessary war. It was unnecessary because Britain had ample time to do what it needed to do to stop Germany dead in its tracks. And of course, the, the biggest thing that Germany did, which actually was the biggest red flag you could ever wave, is that they started rearming. 
And this is strictly forbidden in the Treaty of Versailles. Well, because no one would listen to the warnings of Prime Minister Churchill, 75.6 million people died. And that includes 6 million Jewish people. As we stand here this morning, reflecting a little bit on our lives, I wonder this morning what kind of warnings that you are ignoring. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor Allen? I'm talking about the warnings from Scripture about how you must live, what you must do, what you must not do. And what will be the price of your willful disregard for the warnings of Scripture? Some of you today are already experiencing that, or you have experienced it. You know exactly what I'm talking about. God has warned you from his word, and you have rejected those warnings. You've chosen to ignore them or disregard them. Oh, God will forgive me. It'll be fine in the end. It's just this tiny little sin, this little white sin, this tiny little thing that I, that I do. It won't hurt anybody. It won't matter this time. I'm going to tell you this morning that a man or a woman of wisdom will heed the warnings of God. Now, the Bible warns us against rejecting wisdom. That really is what Solomon is saying here in these first chapters of the book of Proverbs. He's warning against rejecting wisdom. So in chapter 1, we see that Solomon is clearly speaking to his son. And that son, by the way, is the representative of all of us, really, because all of us want to learn. All of us want, wants to grow. And we read in verse 20 and 21, which we, review, we reviewed last week, wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. And at the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. It's not that wisdom is silent and not saying anything. It's not that any of us can claim, well, I didn't know. Not one of us can say or can claim ignorance. None of us can do that. When they were redoing Keniston, or Kiwetan, pardon me, by my house, they put in the, the, the second road. So there was, just, there was just two lanes of traffic, now there's four. Well, when they put that new traffic in, I, I couldn't see uh, a sign anywhere that told me how fast I could or could not go. And so I knew what it was before Adsum, and I knew what it was after Inkster, 60. So I assumed that it was 60. You can imagine my shock when I got pulled over by the police for going 62. Come on, two kilometers over the speed limit? Are you kidding me? I said, sir, I didn't see a, a speed limit anywhere. And he said to me, there's no posted speed limit. The speed limit is 50. 
Now, I could, I could go to court with that and I could try to fight my cause, but they will say what? Ignorance is no excuse because this is the law. Now, I want you to know something. We have been given more than just God's law. We have been given a conscience. In fact, in just a few moments, I'm going to tell you some of the ways in which God has manifest his wisdom to us, ways that wisdom speak to us. So if you've got your notebook handy and your pen handy, just get ready for this. But before I go over that, I want to read to you, once again, these verses, 24 to 27. Again, if you have your Bible, uh, take it, read it, underline it, follow along with me. And I'm reading from the NLT in this case. So Proverbs chapter 1, verse 24. I called you so often, wisdom says. Actually, I've got the slide for that. I'm going to put that up. I called you so often, but you wouldn't come. I reached out to you, but you paid no attention. You ignored my advice and rejected the correction that I offered. In verse 26. So I'm going to laugh when you are in trouble, and I will mock you when disaster overtakes you. When calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster engulfs you like a cyclone, and anguish and distress overwhelm you. There are over 800 proverbs, little snippets of wisdom for us, which warns us, which tells us how to live, Most of these Proverbs are compact little statements that express truths and warnings about human behavior. But I gotta tell you something about the Proverbs. This is really important because this is where a lot of people go wrong when it comes to the Proverbs. The Proverbs are not to be interpreted as promises. For instance, train up a child in the way he should go and when he's old, he won't depart from it doesn't always work out that way. And I've seen many parents beat themselves up and feel that they're utter failures because their kids didn't turn out the way they hoped they would turn out. Well, let me tell you, the Proverbs are not promises, nor are they prophecies. As one scholar put it, these are probabilities. If, if you live this way, if you do these things, then the probable outcome will be good. So I just want to make sure everybody understands this. In Proverbs 10, 27, it says that the years of the wicked are cut short while the righteous live long and prosperous lives. So we know that sometimes good people die young. But the probability is, is if you are careful about the way you live, if you're not pickling your liver with alcohol, if you're not corrupting your lungs with tobacco smoke and so on and so forth, if you are, are not being hard on your body with drugs, and the probability that you're going to live longer increases dramatically. This is what Proverbs is saying. So, wisdom says, I called to you often, but you wouldn't come. I reached out to you, but you paid no attention. Listen, wisdom, the wisdom of God, the wisdom in the Scripture is all about how to live and how not to live. The wonderful thing about wisdom is that in order to be a wise person, you don't have to have a high IQ. And somebody said amen. 
You don't have to have a high IQ. Here's what you need, though. You need to have the fear of God in you. That's what Solomon tells his son in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. If you haven't underlined that verse yet, you need to, or circle it or something. Because Proverbs 1, 7 is, in fact, the theme of all of Proverbs. You don't have to have an IQ, high IQ, to be wise, but what you do have to do is you have to fear God. Now, remember a couple of weeks ago, we said that the fear of God is obedience. We obey God. We do his will. And every time we do God's will, every time we follow the, the, the advice and the wisdom and the counsel of Scripture, then things go well for us. And conversely, when we fail to follow the wisdom of Scripture, then things don't turn out right for us. And every one of us here this morning, if we stop and think for a minute about the problems and the struggles that we have faced in our lives, not all of them, but many, we can trace it back to that day when we refused to listen to the wisdom of God. Would you say amen to that? I can say that for myself many, many times. And I know that when things have gone well for us, it's because... We listened to the wisdom of God. It's critical then that we do not ignore the warnings that wisdom gives. Because when we fail to listen to to wisdom, this is when we experience the tragedy, the destruction in the magnitude of what Germany experienced and what the rest of the world experienced because nobody would listen. Nobody would listen to Churchill. We are considered wise, you're considered wise, if you do the will of God every time. And by the way, as you know, if you've been in this church any length of time, you know that doing God's will every time is really a a wonderful definition for holiness. We're called to live holy lives. God says to his people back in the Pentateuch, be holy for I am holy. If you're gonna be holy as God is holy, it means you're gonna have to do God's will on earth as it's done in heaven. This is what real wisdom is. And so when the Bible tells us to be holy as God is holy, When the Bible tells us to follow in the footsteps of Christ, this is not just suggestions for you. This is clear instruction for us. Why? Because contrary to what some people think, God wants us to have a rich and abundant life. God is not some cosmic party pooper. He wants us to have a rich, satisfying life. Understanding what our real priorities are. So, we know what God's will is. Because some of you are sitting here thinking, well, how do I know all the time what God's will is? Well, I'm going to tell you that we do know what God's will is, and we know what it is all the time. Did you hear that? That's a bold statement, isn't it? And some of you are protesting even now. You want to say, but yeah, but, 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 but what about, but, but. Well, just hang on to your what abouts, what about, what, but, 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 and listen to the five ways that wisdom manifests, manifests itself or speaks to us. First of all, we have to look at the way we were created. 
the Bible is clear that we were created in the image of God, the very best of his creation, and we were born with what we call a conscience. And Paul even points this out, doesn't he, in in Romans chapter two. All these people that claim not to know God, all these people, these Gentiles, these people who are not the chosen people, he makes it clear every one of them has got a conscience and every one of them knows the difference between right and wrong. How many know what it's like and can remember what it's like to go against their conscience? Anybody here ever go against their conscience? Just, 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 well, it's two, it's three, four, yeah. About half our congregation knows what it means to go against their conscience. Well, half the congregation and me, because <laughs> I know what it's like. You know you're doing what you shouldn't do. You know, as soon as those words came out of your mouth, you, you said what you shouldn't have said, right? You're thinking things you shouldn't be thinking. You're allowing yourself to carry a grudge, resentment in your heart, and you know it's wrong and you do it anyway. This is what we call ignoring wisdom. You just disregard what wisdom is telling you. But it's not just a good conscience that God has given you. God has set up the creation to point to him. Did you know that? One of the things that we're hearing a lot about these days is that is that humans are not binary. In other, in other words, it's not just male, female, and that's it. They're coming up with all kinds of things. But the creation clearly tells us that there's male and female, right? Would everybody agree with that? And I read somewhere that someone came up with a list of 76 different pronouns, he, she, and, and then she, and they, and them, and. And, and you have to tell, on many social uh, profiles, social media uh, platforms, you, you are invited to share your preferred pronoun. Well, the creation tells us clearly that God created us male and female. And that our, excuse me, I don't, I don't mean to be crass here, but how can I put this delicately? Our plumbing is created in such a way that a man and a woman come together to procreate. And now they're trying to suggest that men can have children as well. Well, no, men cannot have children, not unless there is some kind of serious intervention from so-called scientists and doctors. So God gave us a conscience. He's given us a creation that clearly teaches us. And then he's given us his word the revealed word of God. So you know what God's will is because he shows it to us in scripture. God has always given us a clear instruction about what his will is. And it began with Adam and Eve, remember that? Now it's interesting that with God's instruction, with God's revealed will to Adam and Eve came a warning. Are you getting this? He gives a warning of what happens when we fail to obey him, when we fail to do his will. God says, in that day that you eat of this fruit, you will what? You will 
surely die. Now, if nothing else can prove to you how stupid humans are, this does. If you eat the fruit, you're going to die. And so what do Adam and Eve do? I think I'm going to eat the fruit. Adam and Eve, are you stupid? Are you out of your mind? Hey, folks, before you get too uppity, looking down your nose at Adam and Eve, ask yourself how many times you went against the will of God, even though you knew what the consequences would be. I'm going to talk more about this in just a moment. But let me just quickly share with you two more ways that wisdom manifests itself and speaks to us. God gave us parents to teach us. Did you know that? This is God's will. Now, again, we're living in a culture that's now telling us that the family unit is not important. And that if you read any, anything of Marx and Engels, you'll know that, that they were... They were suspicious of the family. In fact, they, they felt that the family was not trustworthy to raise a child. And yet God tells us clearly that the family, that the family structure is absolutely 100% God's will. And not only that, but it is the foundation of a solid society, a solid culture. And it's for this reason that we find God handing down very harsh punishments to children who disrespect, dishonor, or disobey their parents. You can read about that yourself in Leviticus chapter 20. It's quite shocking. If a child rejects his parents' advice or mocks his parents, is disrespectful, then God says, stone that child. Nobody has a problem with this? <laughs> Very shocking. Now, I don't know if there's any, uh, if there's, there may be the odd example where this actually happened, but for the most part, it didn't happen. What's God doing? He is underscoring, he's underlining the importance of a parent and a parent's responsibility to properly teach and instruct his or her children. It's our job to pass wisdom and instruction onto our children. And I haven't got time to go any, any more about that, but let me add the fifth way that wisdom manifests itself. God has given you preachers and teachers, a pastor, and this is why you come to church on Sunday. I read an interesting article written by one of the Puritans. This goes back to, I think, the 1600s. It's 24 pages long, very interesting. And the, the, the tract or the, the pamphlet is entitled, uh, something to this effect, public worship is, is far more important than your private worship. Now this is something that, that kind of goes against what, what many of us believe, and, I, I, and, and even what I've taught. But this, this Puritan, this Puritan preacher, he's saying what? He's saying that for the well-being and the health of every believer, he or she needs to be sure to be in the house of God to hear the preaching of the word of God. 
It's a means of God's grace. Now, yes, you do have to have your personal and private worship. That's not what the Puritan is saying. But what he is saying is the most important part of your week is your week in the house of God where you're hearing the preaching of God's word. In fact, they, the Puritans would say that the preaching of God's word is the word of God to God's people. And for that reason, preachers and pastors were actually called the prophets who were prophesying. You don't want to miss God's word. But this is the manifestation of wisdom. So we know the ways that God passes on his wisdom to us. But I gotta share one more thing with you. We cannot ignore the fact that wisdom is crying out, calling for attention, but we don't respond. We're paying no attention. We're ignoring the advice. We're rejecting the correction. Here's what's so critical to understand when we discuss wisdom. We need to understand something about ourselves. Because I can flood you with wisdom. But if you don't understand what your nature is, then, my friends, you are going to be significantly handicapped when it comes to living out wisdom in your life. Last week we were talking about Augustine and how Augustine, with his friends, raided a garden and stole fruit And this is what he said, I was shocked. I didn't enjoy the fruit as much as I enjoyed stealing. He said, I really enjoyed the stealing, that was a lot of fun. And it disturbed him, it really disturbed him. And he began to recognize something about human nature. From his experience with his friends and from the multitude of stories in scripture, He formally organized and put onto paper his doctrine of original sin, also called total depravity or radical corruption. If we're going to be wise, then we need to understand the doctrine of human nature, or we could call it the, the, uh, uh, the study of anthropology, the study of man. We need to understand human nature. Look at this, a huge part of gaining wisdom is not just knowing what God's will is. We need to know the doctrine of human nature because we're prone to sin and we're prone to wander. Did, did everybody hear that today? Some of you will remember that old hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the Lord I love. Uh, anybody know that one? No, maybe we have to start singing that every Sunday till we know it off by heart. Folks, listen, you need to know this about yourself. Your nature, your human nature is such that even though you protest and say you want to be wise, in actuality, we would rather walk away. We'd rather do what we want to do, even though it's unwise and leads to death. Isn't this crazy? You need to know this about yourself. Over the years, one of the things that I've noticed is that there are many people who go to church every week never miss, but have no idea that, that, that they have a struggle with what Paul calls the flesh or human nature. 
One of my mentor in England said to me once years ago, Alan, I'm going to tell you what an what a old pastor told me once. Alan, never trust your flesh. What's he saying? Don't trust yourself. Because left to your own devices, you will always choose sin. Did everybody get that? And, and the prophet said that about the human, about the human nature, about the human heart. It's, it's desperately wicked, and nobody can, we can't understand it, only God can. You need to know that about yourself, that that is your default setting. And this is why we need to be born again. This is why we need a savior, because by nature, we choose to sin. Now, this doctrine of original sin or total depravity, it derives from this concept of original sin that we are born this way. It teaches that, quote, as a consequence of man's fall, every person born into the world is enslaved to the service of sin as a result. Well, that's very consistent with what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans. As a result of their fallen nature, and uh, they are outside of God's grace and is therefore completely unable to choose for themselves to follow God. You did not choose to follow God. God chose you. Isn't that what the Bible tells us clearly? Jesus said, unless the Father lets, enables you to come to me, you can't come. Because of this total depravity, we cannot abstain from evil. We will choose evil every time. No matter how hard you try to be obedient, in your own strength, it's impossible. You need God's grace. And even more than that, you cannot accept the gift of salvation unless by the grace of God you are enabled. Remember what we said last week, we are dead in our trespasses. That's not Alan Duncalf saying that. It's not Martin Luther saying that. It's what the word of God tells us. We're dead in our trespasses. We need the grace of God to bring us to life. And that's just the beginning. We need the grace of God then to help us to live the Christian life so that we are not found guilty of ignoring wisdom's cry. Solomon's father agrees with what I just said. Here's what Solomon's father says. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who act wisely, who seek after God. By the way, you'll notice I put, uh, if you're reading the ESV, you'll notice there's a slight change here, who act wisely. In your Bible, maybe uh, if there are any who understand, but that word can also be translated like this, which I think makes more sense and beautifully fits with what we're saying this morning. If there are any who seek after God, they have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none. Actually, I want you to read this with me. I want to make sure that you get this. There is none. Does good not even one, not even the pastor. Some might say, especially not even the pastor. Wow. This is our condition, folks. This is our situation. But here's the thing. Once we have the wisdom to see what our true nature is, it's only then that we can 
cry out to God for his mercy and his grace. And in that day that we cry out to God for his mercy and his grace, hallelujah, then we will stop ignoring wisdom's warnings and we will take the necessary steps to live wisely. So look at this. Wisdom can cry all she wants. She can yell her head off. But the fact of the matter is, is that none of us can do anything about it unless we have been divinely helped by God. And the good news for you today is this. We have a Savior. We have a Master and a Lord. We have the Holy Spirit who enables us to not just hear the words of wisdom, but gives us the ability in the power of God to live according to God's will. Hallelujah. This, my friends, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It transforms us. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, oh, yeah, but Pastor John, there we go. You're just just relying on, on grace and nothing else. No, 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 no. The grace of God is the beginning of living a life of wisdom. But now you have to do your part. You need to cooperate with what God wants to do in your life. And the first thing you're going to have to do is, yes, walk humbly before God, cry out to God for grace and mercy. Do you know what? I've been a, I've been a, a, a Christian for over 50 years, and I'm still, in fact, I think I am, I'm crying out even more. I was going to say I'm still crying out for grace. I'm crying out far more because I understand as I get older that I need more of it. Is anybody else with me on this? I can't live this Christian life in my own strength. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm actually quite fragile and frail when it comes right down to it. And don't get too uppity because you're the same. So that's what you're going to do. You're going to cry out to God for grace. This is what it means to walk humbly before God. God, I can't do this. I can't live this life without your help. It's impossible. When's the last time you told God that? Confess it. Confess it freely. The second thing you need to do is you need to turn. This is what we talked about last week. If you turn, if you repent, if you go in the other direction, then I'm going to pour out my spirit to you and I will make my words known to you, wisdom tells us. Some of you thought that repentance was a one-time thing. You do that when you get saved. Yes, you do it when you get saved, but it's something you do for the rest of your life. You are doing a U-turn. You're turning around and you're walking towards God. It's the direction that we're talking about here. The third thing you need to do is you need to continue in daily prayer. You need to say, God, give me the grace. And what are you praying? Remember the Lord's Prayer? By the way, folks, if you think the Lord's Prayer is just a neat little formula that's tacked onto our Christianity and what a nice thing to look at now and again, you're totally missing God's intention for you. The, the Lord's Prayer, my friends, is a pattern for living, not just the prayer. This is why Jesus tells us to pray every day. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, not my will. I want to do your will today. Not my will, but thy will be done. And even more than that, you're praying and asking God to forgive you of your sins. Because, folks, you are still a work in progress. You are in the process of being sanctified. And someday, glory be to God, we are going to be glorified. That's when sanctification is 100% completed. 
No more sinning, no more failing God, no more failing anybody. We, we walk this life, we walk this world in the direction of God, and all the while God is sanctifying us and making us more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ until that day that we no longer are on this earth and we are caught up into his presence and we then receive our glorified bodies and we're perfect forevermore. You didn't know doctrine could be so fun, did you? It's wonderful, isn't it, to know the doctrines, the truth of God's word. That's what you got to do. And then you got to continue every day reading. It's actually called feeding, not reading. Feeding on the Word of God. Letting the Word of God nourish your heart so you know God's will every time. And once you know God's will every time, then we're talking about habit number three. Anybody remember that? Moment by moment holiness. It's doing God's will every time. That's what holiness is. Set apart for God. That's doing God's will. Now, let me just quickly conclude here. I've gone a few minutes too long. Um, The Apostle Paul says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Look at, I I have seen verse 28 misused over and over and over and over again. And it's usually by charismatic and Pentecostal pastors. They want to preach a sermon to you to tell you that God wants you to have all your dreams come true, all the things you ever wanted, that that God just wants your life to be just wonderful and good, good, good. But the problem is is that they, they make a huge hermeneutical error. What I mean by hermeneutic is I mean interpretation is wrong because they leave out verse 29. When God talks about all things working for our good, understand what the good is. It's not that you get a new house, a new car, and brand new jeans, brand new this. Oh, this Christian life is so good. I just get everything. God works it all together, so everything's good for me. Understand what the good is. The good is that you are conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. That's the good that you and I are looking for. So I want to close with this. I want to say it's time for you to start listening to the cry of wisdom. Start listening and know that even when you fail, even when you don't listen, even when you fall flat on your face that things aren't working the way it ought to. The good news is that God, because you are his child, because you are his son and daughter, he's gonna take and use the mess you made. He's gonna work it out for good. He's gonna use the good times and the difficult times and the struggles. He's gonna use it to perfectly conform you to the image of his son, Jesus. That is a miracle. But that is the work of God in your life and mine. Would you stand with me, please? Father, thank you this morning for your word. We thank you, O oh God, that you have, you have allowed wisdom to manifest itself in our lives in so many ways. Help us, O oh God, to pay attention 
to our conscience, to pay attention, O oh God, to what we see in the creation, not being confused by the voices of this world which are, are, have gone mad. Help us to listen to your word, to listen to our parents and to listen to our pastor. And we pray, O oh God, that we would be a people that know how to listen to the cry of wisdom. Help us, O oh God, forgive us, we pray, for ignoring wisdom's call. Help us now, Lord, to respond in obedience so that we would be a people who do God's will. And we pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Amen. Tell the person beside you, go do the will of God. <laughs>